What is up, Brad fans? How you doing? Uh, glad to have you here. We have another episode of uh, with a political persuasion. We got the the panel of dudes from Canada back. Uh, we actually have the full panel this time, at least for half of it. Steve did have to leave to uh, view the Masters and drink margaritas on a Sunday afternoon, um, and we don't fault him for that at all. But uh, Steve, Scott, and Coleman were here uh, to talk about this you know, the last gasps of the Trump administration. We speculated on what we think the end game is, what are some of the scenarios that could play out with Iran, a um, few other things, um, you know, milk that content out of that, out of that last, you know, what is it, 60, 70 days of the Trump administration. Um, and then we had a really interesting conversation in the middle about Trumpism, populism, um, the sort of rhetoric, media landscape uh, that we see in the U.S. and how that's creeping into other places, uh, mainly Canada. We focused on Canada, um, and it's something that you know gets me all fired up uh, to think about how we need to you know engage with more policy and less rhetoric and other BS. Um, and I would hate to see the country that I live in, Germany, or my homeland of Canada, uh, fall into this trap. But it's it's I don't know. For me, I think it's on the horizon. It's something to watch out for. Um, so we had a really great talk about that, and then we wrapped it up talking about uh, the, you know, what we think the Biden administration can do, um, specifically with coronavirus and how he's going to have to navigate some of the internal divisions in his party. So take a listen. Uh, I hope you enjoy. If you disagree, agree, enjoy, don't enjoy, let us know uh, at, on Twitter, Instagram, at 2 brad for you hit me up at bvampiridon we also have a show email now to brad for you at gmail.com uh the website to brad as always uh rate subscribe follow on wherever you get your podcasts uh leave a comment that does help us out um but yeah otherwise twitter instagram at to brad for you is probably the best way or the email at to brad for you uh, at gmail.com so thank you all for listening and here we go. All right, folks, we're back to milk the last little bit of content we can out of the Trump administration as this drags on until January, at least. Uh, of course, we have, well, today we have the whole panel of regular, ordinary gentlemen, citizens, college-educated voters, we'll say. Uh, and I guess we can say for the first time in this Too Brad for Politics show, we're all gainfully employed at the time of recording. So I'm looking at you, Coleman. Congratulations. Congratulations. <laughs> for, for as long as time as I may have left, I, I will be gainfully employed. I'm, I'm very proud of that. <laughs> have you joined Trump's legal defense or... Uh... <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to be hosting a uh, press conference in front of Four Seasons Tailoring here in uh, Edmonton, Alberta. Perfect. <laughs> All right. Well, so as you heard, Scott's here, Coleman's here, and Steve here. You're sorted out on your end. Yeah, guys, what's happening? Okay, good. Uh, not much. Well, let's jump into it. I mean, the latest, it, it appears, with the, with the Trump uh administration i guess we still have to call it an administration for a while the lawsuits don't seem to be working i think they're 0 for 12 last i saw in terms of uh any lawsuit 
contesting any uh, portion of the election. Most of these lawsuits seem to be kind of just small matters of procedure and stuff like that. Nothing that would invalidate or overturn any votes. Um, there's been a couple other speculations about um, states uh, going against the will of their popular vote in their state and just deciding who the electors will elect uh, when they send them to the electoral college. Doesn't look like that's going to going to go through. Um, but you know the uh, the crying continues. I don't know if it's. Um, I've heard a number of different theories as to why this is going on. Everything from Donald Trump is just that petty and cannot, you know, leave with uh, conceding defeat to he's trying to shred all the papers in the White House that would <laughs> implicate anything this administration has done that's less than a, above board. Um, let's go, Steve. Why don't you start it off? What do you think? Uh, is there a strategy behind this? Is there, is it actually, you know, do they actually think they're going to overturn the election or is it just stretch it out as long as possible? Just a bunch of gas. Um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, what, there's not a strategy. <laughs> there's always a motivation or, uh, like an appetite you could call it. Um, but it, well, the, the one that I kind of agree with that I've heard, uh, they covered this on, uh, the, Preet Bharara podcast uh, the other day was that he's basically the strategy or motivation or whatever you want to call it is that um, he is laying the groundwork to stay relevant. And the only way mm. he can do that is by claiming this is a hoax, fighting the fight. He'll have his millions of followers believe him. He, you know, he's got Fox News. He's got his own senators still backing him for god knows why it's got to be fairly apparent to them right now that uh that he's you know lost his presidency but they don't see him as a sinking ship and he doesn't see himself as a sinking ship uh of course a gaseous giant would never sink he's going to float around and we'll still point up at him every once in a while he's gonna bounce around with the wind and kind of blend that with whatever way the gas is leaking to propel him whether whatever direction uh, and we'll just continue to see him and you know he's probably thinks in his head that he's going to be president again be it in january or in 2024 um or that he just wants to keep this movement alive um and continue being in the spotlight because that's what he he feeds on um, that and Sudafed. Right, of course. Yeah. We established that last episode. Gas giant powered by Sudafed. Um, Scott, I'll go to you next. Um, I mean, I think what Steve said makes a lot of sense um, in that he's trying to stay relevant. We've seen him kind of turn against Fox News at the moment. Um, but do you see him as like a viable you know, maybe, maybe he doesn't run in 2024, but is he still like, you know, the Republican kingmaker, like whoever he blesses, uh, will get the nomination in the next, uh, presidential election. And this is why these senators are still, you know, hanging on to him. I think, yeah, I think Steve, you're right in that this is all kind of a bit of theater to maintain relevance as soon as, you know, at the end of the day, January 20th will come, he will no longer be president, whether he accepts it or not. 
But I think there's a few things going on, right? He wants to stay relevant, I think, uh, in part so he can keep sending those angry fundraising emails for, you know, however long he can get away with it. I would not be surprised if he declares shortly after January 20th that he's going to run in 2024. I don't think he is going to run in 2024, but I think that does a few things for him. He can keep sending the emails, keep the money coming that then goes to God knows where. Um, Also, I think it'll help him with his uh, potential legal issues that then once he's declared himself a candidate for 2024, he's going to say, you know, they're just coming after me. It's all political. It has nothing to do with the years and years of tax fraud I've committed or anything like that. It's because I'm a 2024 candidate. Um, I also think it's it's largely an ego play that he just psychologically is not built in such a way that he could accept the idea that he lost. So he needs to sort of create this elaborate fiction about how the election was stolen from him. And uh, I think the entire Republican Party has just adopted their role of daycare teacher, you know, toddler minder that they say, OK, you know, if you tell little Johnny he won, then he'll stop screaming and throwing his poop on the walls. So we're just going to entertain him a little bit longer until on January 20th, his mommy's going to come and pick him up and then it'll all go away. Um so I think he and as far as being kingmaker, I think absolutely I could see. I really hope they just ditch the primaries and go apprentice 2024. Donald Trump, uh, you know, <laughs> picks the the do up. Ratings will be huge. Mark Burnett will be all over this. And uh, yeah. I could easily see how uh, the apprentice presidential candidate is going to be a ratings bonanza for OANN. Right. Or, you know, we'll go to Coleman now. For because uh, I know Coleman, you've expressed interest that if Trump, you know, created his own uh, media channel, you would be the first to subscribe, correct? Yeah, and I think I could definitely change every <laughs> part about my personality to be a, a good host on that show. Um, <laughs> I have very, very few qualms about lying to get ahead in the media game. That's what I do on this show most of the time. Um, yeah, I kind of think that's what his plan is. Um, I didn't notice there was a Definitely a couple of days of like hesitancy on guys like Lindsey Graham and like Mitch McConnell to come out and support Trump and these like crazy claims. Um, I think there was some discussions about cutting him loose, but then the races, the Senate races in Georgia are going to be so important that they can't afford to have Trump turn his cult base on them right. so early. So I think there was a hesitancy, but it'll be interesting to see after after those races are done, kind of how they treat Trump. And another thing I think he has on his side is like just the way that this election was counted, it gave it the illusion of being closer than it actually was. Mm-hmm. So it kind of adds legitimacy. Like his supporters can go back and like, this is one of the big talking points is, well, he was leading on the evening of the Tuesday. Like how could all these votes just appear out of nowhere? It's like, well, technically they didn't appear out of nowhere. Those were actually before everyone else's votes. You can make yeah. an argument that Biden had a huge lead going into the election day. But yeah. just the way things happen with Trump, that he gets these breaks to make him stay relevant, that they have this election that's counted different, not counted differently, but interpreted differently than most elections and makes it seem like it was a close race where it really wasn't. It wasn't a landslide. I thought it was going to be more of a more of a Biden victory, kind of from what I said last time. But um, yeah. So it's just he's just kind of out there doing Trump things. The Republicans kind of have to go along with it for these Senate races that are going to be very important. And uh, we are forced to listen to this fucking idiot talk 
for another <laughs> two months. Yeah. Well, yeah, the Georgia, the Senate races, I guess there they go to a runoff election. So there's two potential. Is there two potential Senate seats available in Georgia that are that could still go to the Democrats and that would flip the the Senate? Yeah, well, it would just to they, contextualize. If the Democrats won both, there'd be a tie in the Senate. And then uh, okay. the VP is the deciding vote after that. So they need to win them both. And then then they control the Senate through the VP vote. Right. Okay. So important. So obviously, yeah, the Republicans don't want to give up the the fanatical Trump base or piss off the fanatical Trump base. And we all know how petty he is. The other interesting things I saw um, was the firing of the Secretary of Defense. Was that it? Or National Security Advisor? I can't remember which one. Uh, no, I was Secretary of Defense. Defense. Yeah. Secretary of Defense. And then there was also some pos- positions within either the defense apparatus or homeland security, cybersecurity positions that they just gutted as well. They fired a bunch of guys. One guy actually came out, the Associated Press or Reuters was uh, reporting that he was, he knew he was going to get fired and he had gone against the the wishes of the White House to uh, say that the election was, was fair and that they didn't detect any problems and there was no interference or anything like that. So that seems kind of odd to me. They also, I think, I, I mean, I've seen, I've heard speculation on it that this is a way to sort of maybe ram through some last minute um, foreign policy stuff uh, as they go out the door. Or like I said in the, in, in the opening as well, maybe they're just trying to get some more um, administration friendly people in to sort of cover up some of the things that may have been going on. Anybody want to jump in on on that? What they think, you know, whether it's Iran loading up some other sanctions or something on them, getting some more arms deals through? I think it's uh, mostly the latter. My guess would be all these lackeys have been put in to, you know, fire up the shredders, wipe some servers, get, you know, a few sketchy calls with foreign leaders off their secret server or, you know, whatever they've got. Because I think as far as foreign policy goes, like, Trump doesn't really care. I don't you know. He only cares about things that affect him directly. So, you know, more sanctions on Iran is a, it's hard to imagine that's really going to motivate him at this point versus, you know, trying to cover up some pretty criminal acts that have potentially happened. Uh, I could see would be a highly motivating factor for a mob boss like Mr. Trump. So um, it just seems to me, the idea that he's got some high minded ideals of, in the last second, trying to remake the world in his image. Like it seems to go against what I've seen of the man in the last four years. Like he just doesn't care. He doesn't care about things that don't directly affect him. Uh, so my guess would be it's more of a kind of cover up on the way out the door operation, but, but I could be wrong. Who knows? They but could be some of the tomorrow. Some of the stuff with Iran could affect him because of his ties and Jared Kushner's ties to the Saudis. Um, and, and, you know, if they, this could be, Hey, we'll, we'll do this last thing on the way out the door and just make it really if difficult, if not impossible for Biden to get back into the nuclear deal, um, and screw over Iran for you. But just know that, you know, when we, when we get kicked out of here, we're going to need millions of dollars to, you know, fight for our, the, the legal cases against us, or we're going to need some kickbacks in some kind of way. I mean, there's still a way that it could benefit Trump. Yeah, but make make no mistake that Trump would, uh, listen, he would drop son-in-law 
top advisor Jared Kushner to save himself in in a second. You know, he's well, he's 100%. not doing he's not making moves to to um kind of help Jared Kushner only to no, help. I'm himself. saying he's using Jared Kushner's ties with the Saudis to you know. Sure. Yeah. No. I I understand what you mean, Brad. I, I I'm kind of more leaning towards uh, what Scott was saying that this is all just. I mean, he's ideologically um, empty, an ideologically empty vessel, so to speak. And uh, but he is most notably a uh, bitch. So he probably (laughs) made a call to fealty uh, and people, you know, these people supported him and, and these people didn't. And he was just like, okay, well, then you're fired. Yeah, uh, that's that's more so my guess that he's back there making moves. Um, I I don't know to what extent he's uh, even capable of kind of playing this kind of uh, one move ahead checkers that you're describing. Um, but I mean, there's people around him though too, right? Like he's still got these other figures that would benefit from this or that have the ideological bent Stephen Miller's and, and guys like this, you know, like there's still those people that are around him. Yeah, that that's true. Get, you know, get the last uses out of the useful idiot. And he is influenceable, like you said. So I, I, yeah, it's a good point. I think we'll have to wait and see kind of how all that works out. Uh, I can't imagine it works out well for him, but uh, we'll see. Um, Coleman, what do you think? You know, we I think we're all in agreement that it's like he's a vindictive, <laughs> petty, petty man. This is this is this could be another option is that that he wants to screw over the Biden transmission transition as much as possible. And one way to do that would be to fire a bunch of people that no don't wouldn't necessarily be need to be um, replaced in a transition. But if they are fired, they would need Senate confirmation hearings and all of this other thing to bring them back. So it just like it could really set behind the the transition and not to mention that they're just refusing to even start the mechanics of the transition. In your, uh, you know, armchair psychology estimation of the man, should we expect some (laughs) some petty shit flinging on the way out? Yeah, I fully expect for him to actually smear his own shit. <clears throat> sorry, on the walls of one of the bathrooms <laughs> in the White House before he leaves. Um, yeah, basically, they've already put the federal government behind the eight ball. Just the way that they've run their administration, like they've left a lot of important roles empty for a long time, mm. and I think that's just going to continue. Um, the Esper firing the depart or the. Defense Secretary. That was actually. That seems like because he actually pushed back on the uh, use of the military and that Bible photo op that they took, where they gassed the yeah. protesters. Like, he publicly pushed back on that. So he was expecting to get fired after the election anyway. He already had a yeah. a resignation letter drawn up. So I think a lot of these firings are kind of Trump. Just he likes to fire people and he wants to look relevant <laughs> at the end of the day. Um. But yeah, I fully expect him to do everything he can to fuck with the Biden transition team until the very end. We've already seen like France announced that when Pompeo visits them, like they're going to give a uh, complete readout of the meeting to the Biden transition team. So the French government <laughs> is doing more to help 
with the <laughs> transition than the acting president. I don't expect him to concede or do anything. I expect him to be loud and awful and not help the Biden team. Thankfully, like Biden has been in the White House, so at least he can tell people where their offices are going to be without having to show them like a tour or anything. Yeah. Like that. Um, I expect, yeah, Trump just to be a dickhead until January 2nd and then leave and then say that he won and all that. But yeah, he will do a lot of stuff between now and election day to like weaken the federal government it's just the way he is it's what he's done for four years i don't expect him to i don't expect it to stop now we have a new scandal from this administration every week and we have several Mm -hmm. weeks left and i expect a fresh scandal to hit our 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 desks every monday to peruse yeah i'm waiting for rudy giuliani to pop off with some more great any any rudy stuff i'm in for 100 percent. love rudy (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he is the weirdest man on planet earth rudy I did give an interview on fox this morning which i have yet to see any of but i'm Ooh. sure i'm sure it is going to be worthwhile viewing i saw on twitter where, yeah, where was the it. interview held uh just from, i was actually from a studio it was very tame for him oh, but he okay. also he also claimed that he was being censored as he was doing an interview on sunday which is the most watched news day for most americans on america's most popular news network and he's claiming that he's being censored. It's like you literally cannot be censored less than this right now. Okay, that's an interesting point, and I wasn't like wasn't sure how to like kind of bring bring it all in. But the this there's this narrative, whatever you know, that's getting floated around from Republicans that there's a bias against them, and that um, you know all these people that tried to invalidate Donald Trump's election four years ago are now screaming that you know this like it's this whole like well you did this now we get now we get to do this and it's like this bullshit tit for tat you know whining that i just like i don't understand like what i i I don't know if you guys i I don't expect you guys to be like oh yeah no they're they're absolutely right but like what do you think is the credibility of well they spent four years trying to overturn trump's election like Yes, he was impeached, but that wasn't about the election, you know, like it just it just seems like such a disingenuous narrative. Um, but I don't know. Does it have traction? I guess it has traction amongst those the the, the Republican followers. Yeah, it yeah, has a lot of traction, actually. Sorry, go on, Bark. No, I, you're correct. I, I agree with uh, with you, Coleman. I think it but that's all that matters that it has traction with these people, this this uh, significant, actually giant amount of people who are willing to vote for Donald Trump, right? So um, anything to keep spinning that ball uh, to be bigger, more confusing, like the confusion is uh, is the notable thing here. Just continue to talk uh, about nonsensical things and, and make accusations that are based on nothing and then uh, just make it as nebulous as possible for as many people to to uh, kind of get lost in as possible and and look at 70 million people right so keep keep uh, obfuscating reality and you win and that's kind of even if you lose in in his mind if he continues to just do this uh, he's going to come out ahead uh, mm-hmm. I mean, it'll be really fun to watch the 
the uh, downturn of all this. Um, you know, he was at an kind of he rode that to an apex, and which we can argue about when that apex was. Probably pre-COVID, it was probably literally around when he was impeached, when he was at his highest popularity, and uh, he he was riding that wave of obfuscating uh, facts. And then it's just been a slow decline and, and he's about to, uh, you know, perhaps die soon. I don't know, but it'll be a, it'll be a, uh, you know, a slow decline until then, at least to us, at least to sensible people watching um, who knows if he'll ever really attain the feeling that he is the loser that he is. I have no clue. Probably not. Uh, he could probably, uh, take that feeling all the way to his uh, dying day. Uh, but um, yeah, it's clear that he's going to continue to try to obfuscate the uh, mm -hmm. reality. So, but it's not even, it's not even just him. Like it's other Republicans. It's Mitch McConnell. It's the Lindsey Graham's. It's those kind of guys that are saying like, Oh, well, you know, he has the right to this process. He has the right to, seek legal recourse on these matters that's like and it's just like obviously it's their way of like not not making a stand against him while also not making a stand for him but then they'll throw in these yeah well and the democrats tried to overturn the election since you know the day that he got elected so why doesn't trump have the the right to uh you know, follow his own legal recourse, you know, totally ignoring the fact that Hillary Clinton conceded the election and an orderly trans transfer of power happened within weeks of of the election being certified. I don't know. Scott, do you got anything to add on this? Uh, you know, I, I'm I think certainly court. like drawing false equivalencies and obfuscating has just become a big part of the Republican brand, which is not to say the Democrats are immune to this, but for them to say, well, they were trying to overturn the 2016 election with all their Russia, Russia, Russia. I mean, it's so obviously wrong to thinking people. And obviously they weren't trying to overturn the election because they, you know, Barack Obama wrote Trump a nice note and Hillary conceded. Um, at no point did they try and, you know, run to court to say this is all invalid, despite the fact that there really was a load of evidence of sketchy stuff, you know, going on between the Trump campaign and the Russians. I think you need to look no further than the fact that every time they asked one of these people about it, they all lied, which tells you there's <laughs> there's something going on there that everybody lied about everything to do with Russia. There's obviously something going on there. Um, but then for now, the Republicans to basically just say, well, you know, they had their thing to complain about and we had our thing to complain about. So, you know, it's all kind of it's all the same. It's just political games. Um I think really speaks to how they've just moved into like a post-truth reality free world where claims like, but there's a fundamental difference here in that the Russians really did interfere with the election. And, you know, the only election fraud in Pennsylvania is some guy trying to vote for his dead mother for Trump. Um, like these are not equivalent, but none of that sort of like logical consistency, you know, it just doesn't matter anymore. I don't think largely in American politics and it was really cemented by the Supreme Court confirmation and kind of the way they bent over backwards to try and claim that this was not the exact same situation that they, you know, said was inappropriate four years ago. 
um, they just abandon all pretense of, you know, there are rules other than what you can get away with and what enhances your power. And, and truly the shows, they will just say anything, I think, do anything. Um, if it appeals to the rubes and it does, it does. <laughs> well, I mean, it, I mean, it's probably a whole nother, um, podcast we could do but you know this idea that the you know the the media um was so against trump and it was biased against trump and all of this stuff and that there's a liberal bias in media despite the fact that like coleman pointed out the largest most watched news network in america is fox news um and you know people say the same thing in canada the liberal bias and the media and stuff when most of the newspapers are you know, owned by corporations that have a pretty conservative bent, they're conservative donors and all this, you know, like this, I just don't see the actual evidence of it, but it's, a, I guess it's enough that it's perceived that it's there. And I struggle with this all the time to be like, okay, well, is there a liberal bias or is it just that most people disagree with some of these ideals that conservative people, uh, espouse and especially a guy like trump like of course all the front pages they're going to be get this fucking idiot out of here when he's doing dumb shit and clearly you know benefiting from the president presidency financially and like doing all of these other things but then they try and like you know wash all that stuff away and say oh yeah but they don't talk about the other stuff or it's all negative trump stuff and it's but so there seems to be this large section of people that just you know, you have to explain away a lot, I guess, is what I'm saying, if you wanted to, like, actually have this clear debate. So it doesn't surprise me that the, the newspapers are filled with this shit. But it's like for the for the Trump voter who is like, well, yeah, but no one's talking about the good stuff he did or no one's talking about this other thing. But it's like to get to that point, you have to go through, OK, yeah, well, he you know did this thing that was illegal. OK, yeah, I know. I don't like that. But well, what about this comment that he made about women or whatever? Yeah, yeah, no, I don't like that. But, and you got to go through so much shit that you kind of excuse away to get to maybe a couple nuggets of things that he did that like benefited the stock market or taxpayers or something like this. I feel I like, you know, just I'd seen there's some stat that it's like 93% of the coverage of Trump was negative or something like that. And I imagine Ted Bundy could really make similar claims to say, you know, <laughs> everyone just only writes about the bad stuff. It's like, well, if if it's 93 percent bad stuff and no one wants to write how, you know, Ted Bundy once stopped to help some ducklings across the road or something and no one's covering that. It's like, yeah, but there's all the dead chicks also. And, you know, so we kind of have to <laughs> we, we need to cover that as well to say there's a bias. There's. I think this ridiculous idea has kind of infected the world of journalism, particularly in the United States, that their job is to be somehow politically neutral. Mm -hmm. And that's not it. Your job is to simply be objective, I think, and simply state the facts as they are. Mm -hmm. And if one side is just running roughshod over the Constitution, constantly breaking the law, all of these things, you don't have to draw some equivalency or then say we spent half the article talking about the overwhelming number of bad things that they've done. So now in the sake of neutrality or fairness, we're now going to devote the other half of the article to how, you know, they didn't start a nuclear war or something. Um, I think this idea that there's a bias against Trump because the coverage is negative just seems 
like a such a childish way of uh you know it's similar i guess maybe i would analogize to it as an oilers fan for the last 10 years uh most of the <laughs> coverage that i for the oilers is really negative but uh, at least the coverage that i read i would suggest and there is certainly a segment of the fan base saying these people are so biased and they're always negative about everything but the team is always losing so if you know it's if you're constantly writing negative things about a team that's constantly losing is it just bias or are you just fairly covering the fact that they suck i think the media has just been fairly covering the fact that trump sucks not all of them obviously some people are a bit crazy and um exaggerate claims of his awfulness which i think is just strategically stupid because the awfulness is so apparent and brazen that you really you don't need to exaggerate one bit to have a hard-hitting story um but they've just you know it's hard if you're just calling balls and strikes and it's just nothing but strikes then it's hard to say it's unfair because there's no balls being called right and that's i guess that's the point and then to me this is you know we can move this actually to canada and then we can come back to talk about uh what we think of the how the Biden administration is going to look and, and some questions there. But this leads right in because I think that this is exactly, you know, this isn't you a unique problem to the U.S. There is the same sort of thing, conversations happening in Canada where, oh, there's, you know, there's a conservative bias uh, in the media or something like that against the conservatives in the media. You know, people don't want to talk about whatever it is. Um, and I see you know, similar rhetoric going on now uh, in the Canadian um, pol po political environment that mirrors a lot of the shit that happened in the U.S. over the last you know eight to twelve years um, that brought them to this point. And I don't like our system of of, of elections is different and stuff like this, but I wonder that the fact that so many people still voted for Trump that sends a message to conservative politicians that in Canada that are, are um, inclined to use similar tactics that, Hey, no, this is still a mess. This is still a playbook that can work. Yeah. I think there's going to be a lot of, not just in Canada, but all over the world, there's going to be a lot of conservative politicians that try and recreate the Trump magic, I guess you can call it. And I think they're going to, in that specific way, they're going to fail miserably because Trump is a, a terrible human being and, and an idiot, but he does have an ability to talk to that base. Yeah. And the, the way he talks is very, it's relatable to them. They understand it. I think like if a guy like if not to say he's going to, but if Aaron O'Toole decided to jump out tomorrow and start talking the way that Trump does, he would just be ripped to shreds. He just doesn't have that, that Charisma. I don't know. Yeah. Wig in, in air, yeah, the wig and the air <laughs> quotes. Um, but yeah, you see, in Alberta, especially, we you get the Jason Kenney will come out and say that there's not enough uh, conservative sources like covering his government, not enough conservative opinions. But then he does a press conference, and one of the first two people ask a question is Rick Bell from The Sun, <laughs> like kind of the mouthpiece of the conservative newspaper media in Canada. So it's just They've kind of realized that that's a good fallback to go on is like blame the media for not liking us enough. Bias, bias, bias. But in the States, you can look at Fox News was built to be the mouthpiece of the Republican Party. And now the Republican Party itself is turning on Fox News for not being further for or far enough right. 
That mm-hmm. really tells you something. Or They're even mo- just for not being on board with all the shit that Trump did. Yeah, like if you're moving past the the network that you built specifically to spread misinformation for you, then you might have a problem. Like that might be on you. Like you can't just keep creating these new networks to do that. Well, the thing, so the thing that frustrates me in Canada that is, yeah, there's this blame the media thing going on and sort of a scapegoating thing going on, you know, um, it, it, in Alberta, especially blame Trudeau, all of this stuff. And then the myth that I'm seeing, and I mean, you guys can maybe correct me on this because you're there. So you, you might see it more, but you see all these claims of Trudeau is the most divisive prime minister we've ever had. He's dividing the nation, all of this stuff. But yet I only see that coming from one side of the spectrum. And they're talking about, you know, Leslie Lewis just wrote a piece in the National Post, you know, talking about there's no good debate. There's no honest debate happening anymore. But yet the people in that sphere are the ones that are saying Trudeau hates Alberta and is and is destroying you know, the, the, the province and like putting this sort of malice and this intent on it that doesn't make any sense. Like as dumb as Trudeau is and can, and we can, we can discuss the policies and the failures and all that stuff. Fine. But to, to whip up the base by saying he's out to destroy, you know, one of the biggest money makers for the country is, it makes no sense. No one's dumb enough to shoot a hole in their own boat. Like, it's just, that's not it. Are they, you know, pursuing climate-friendly policies that are, you know, perhaps negative to the to the oil industry or make it more difficult? Yes, sure. But there's a lot of data out there. If you want to talk about honest debate and using facts and all this stuff, there's a lot of data out there that says that's the way that we need to go. And the majority of Canadians also feel that that's the way you need to go when when polled about climate it's a big issue for them so this idea like i just it drives me nuts to say that like it's the same thing oh there's this bias there's this there's that he's this worse thing and it and it makes me think of how republicans treated obama you know they, they, he's he's divisive just because who he is you know it's not about the policies it's not about the you know anything it's just who that guy is and Trudeau's the same thing. He was never going to be loved in the West because of his dad, of course. But, you know, there's plenty of evidence that they, you know, he doesn't hate Alberta. I've never seen a press conference or an opinion piece written or, you know, by prominent liberal folks, li- liberal party people that say, you know what, Alberta's the fucking devil and we got we to gotta get them and we got to destroy them and like all. But that's the rhetoric you hear from the other side. And it actually leads to bad things the guy that stormed the the rito hall with a bunch of guns you know like what is going on here i i just see a, a really bad trend and, and i don't know you guys can push back on me maybe i'm maybe i'm exaggerating maybe there is a bunch of liberal things going on in canada that talk about how shitty alberta is but i'm just gonna pull that clip of you calling alberta the devil and share it everywhere <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't know i i it's a bit of a leap to me anyway, to go from uh, the kind of reality or, or alternate reality that these people in the United States live in to Canada. I'm not sure if, if I'm ready to kind of conflate those two as being uh, the same. I'm not saying uh, it's the same. I'm saying it's starting it's in Canada. In or it's starting. 
yeah okay um yeah i don't know like for me in when we look at news coverage in the united states there's and i'll go back to what scott said a few minutes ago i think the problem or one of the issues uh that we see is that um it's new to uh like you said brad that your 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 job is to kind of call it as you see it and have good faith arguments well this idea that that uh one side is not going to act in good faith in their way they argument i think that's i think that's a new phenomena and i think it has caused the other side and in that case the left or the radical left as uh trump likes to call it antifa yeah i think it has caused them to kind of counterbalance in in a similar fashion where they are uh, arguing in in bad faith as well certain segments you know you can't brand everybody in the same manner um and so but it's it's almost a natural thing for that for that counterbalance to take shape um and as far as canada goes like uh yeah you can i i haven't read the same leslin lewis article so i i don't know enough about it to comment on it but um, you could say that, uh, this, this kind of, when we talk about things like climate change and that the overwhelmingly people support kind of policy to curb climate change, um, I think that's natural, but that doesn't mean that everybody knows kind of not, not everyone's an expert on how that's accomplished. Right. Mm -hmm. So trying to trying to drive the wedge is is i feel gonna happen and i i think it works to a certain extent with uh because of kind of the liberal uh i guess you could say establishment in this country um but i i don't think it goes to the same kind of reality bending as what uh what we see in the united states and i think what we see in the united states is a reaction to a whole new phenomena Right. And people, news networks not knowing really how to how to deal with it necessarily. Right. Trying to put themselves in the middle, like you said, Coleman, uh, when that is uh, just, you know, it's not the correct thing to do. But they're used to having good faith arguments and that's just not happening anymore. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, I don't know. I'm torn. Maybe I'm, maybe I get a little too fired up about it, but I really like, I just, you know, when you see guys like Jason Kenney calling people who disagree with him, socialists or uh, environmental extremists and stuff like this. And, and then, and then, you know, he's the first one to retweet this article saying, you know, the, the, the art of debate is gone in, in Canada, in Canadian society. And it's, when did when did we get so you know afraid of the truth that we can't you know hide our we're worried about our feelings getting hurt or something like this and everything he does is an assault on the on the truth i have a i could give you a list of all the things it just it it drives me nuts because i don't see that from the other side uh at least the politicians in the in the media you know like I understand that there's this, and I feel like the, the the conservative folks in the U.S. and in Canada have latched on to this, you know, the woke people 
the super progressives as the boogeyman, right? Like Antifa and shit like this. And in the States, again, this is sort of, they're way further down the road where there is groups that, you know, attack other, you know, conservative protests and stuff. There is that violence. In Canada, a statue got pulled down, you know? And I can agree with a lot of the conservative points that that really woke progressive shit is, you know, illogical, it's not helpful. It actually is divisive. Like it doesn't make sense when you get to that extreme of the of the the left, you know, spectrum. And I mean, I'm not going to go into all of what it is. I think people kind of know what we're talking about when we say that that woke shit. But it's like making it this bigger thing than it is. It's like we can talk about that, and I think that we should talk about that, and we should understand that these ideas that some of these more radical um, activists or, you know, whatever it is, um, professors in universities, you know, that kind of there, sure. We can talk about how we should, you know, engage those ideas and think about them critically and be able to say, I don't want to defund the police or abolish the police or have statues pulled down and not be called a racist. You know, there is that name throwing on the other side, but Again, it's like this false equivalency. I see a small group of people not stirring, you know, large sections of the population to like separatist sentiment, you know, uh, with their wokeness and stuff like this. But then the other side is like anything left of center gets tarred with this whole super progressive woke shit. You know, it was the same thing that they tried to do to Biden, right? Like Biden is not a super left guy. He's very center, you know. So, but yeah, but look were... at the. I mean, the problem that they fought, that the Democrats faced is that they lost House seats, they lost, or they, they couldn't flip the Senate. So, I mean, obviously, a lot of America, a large segment of America, um, kind of is shying away from that, and and I don't think the the Cong the Congress and. Um, I don't think the Congress people on the Democratic side did a good enough job uh, backing away from that type of rhetoric. I think they kind of embraced that rhetoric for a very long time, and and that's mm -hmm. that obviously was problematic for them, as evidenced by their. But in uh, Canada, have they embraced ball. it that much? Yeah, no, true. but it's like when you, I guess, in Canada, like Kenny is is on. The margins really and when it comes to power players in canada he's a guy pulling the worst of any premier uh, in the um fourth largest province okay so he i mean like he's he's a mid-level kind of premier of a province that doesn't like him right and leslin lewis is a total fringe actor uh you know whatever number two for a party that uh is you know right now the opposition so yeah she like bringing attention to this is is good but i don't see that as like a movement right i, I wonder see, i, I wonder the if the next <clears throat> sorry i was just gonna say i wonder if the next alberta provincial election might be a little bit of a referendum on this stuff because i think uh you're right jason kenny um, has been, I would say, very Trumpy thus far. The UCP government, in terms of yeah, anyone who's opposed to us is a socialist or a radical environmentalist. They have 
like an army of well-paid Twitter trolls that just go to try and demonize anyone who disagrees in the slightest. You it doesn't know, they, really smack of honest. No, uh, they just free lie. Debate, yeah. Does it? Yeah. They just lie constantly with no second thoughts. Um, and so, and this is what worries me because I think, you know, in Canada, we seem to just sort of import a lot of our kind of political style and conversations from the United States. Like where there was kind of conservative, the conservative party of Canada was putting out memes about, you know, we're defending, you know, say defending statues and stuff. And nobody was even talking about it at the time in Canada, but because it was sort of a hot button issue in the United States, it gets imported here. Um, and so I think like Steve, you're right that we're not nearly as far down this road of sort of, fact-free insanity that the United States has found itself in. But in terms of that spectrum, I think we're trending the wrong way and we are very much trending the way that, you know, things are trending down there. I see the um, level of dishonesty and it's, it's absolutely not entirely conservative parties. I've started to see it, you know, I was, I follow both the UCP and the NDP on Twitter here in Alberta and the NDP, our left-wing party has also put out, you know, had some stuff that just strikes me as, you know, dishonest, not really an honest reading or explanation of the facts. Um, and that's, I think it's a fundamental problem. I don't know how you fix it because it seems lying works. And so if you're the side that's losing because you're not lying, then it seems that politically the the move would be, okay, well, they're going to use sort of dishonest memes. I guess dishonest memes are what works in 2020. So now we're going to start with that. And where, you know, where's the honesty left like where do you go if you just want straight talk or you know an honest assessment of the world and the problems we face it seems increasingly difficult to get when uh our politics is conducted via memes that's why you come to this podcast right <laughs> the hard well, it's actually group. why yeah. i'm uh, it's actually why i'm leaving this podcast <laughs> that's just right. like Barg, Barg to step on me with an announcement just when it's my turn to talk. I'm outraged, outraged. <laughs> All right, Barg. Well, thanks for joining us. Yeah, I got to go. Uh, the leaders are rounding Amen Corner at the Masters. Gotta, you gotta watch it. Ooh, All right, be enjoy. Thanks for All being right. here. No worries. See you guys. Uh, yeah. Okay. Coleman, what do you, I don't know. Do you, we, we left you sitting there for a while. Do you have anything to weigh in on here? Oh, don't worry. I, I switched from coffee to beer. So I had time to go and freshen <laughs> my, my glass. Um, I always enjoy listening to Scott talk and I always enjoy watching Barg leave. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy <laughs> with this podcast so far. Um, no, I think Alberta's and Canada in general, we're a little less susceptible to, the slide you see in the states because like our elections haven't become as much of a business yet mm -hmm. where you kind of look at the states like as soon as this what if this election is ever done being or finalized they go right into 2024 like who's yeah. the who's the candidate's going to be trump's already talking about 2024 and he's not even out of office yet um where Canada well, they have like, their midterms and then yeah the primary process starts a year before the election yeah and in our elections like we, we fire them up, we make the date, and then what is it, a month, month and a half, two months? Well, we done? Yeah, Trudeau, five weeks. Five weeks. Yeah, Trudeau limited it to 50 days. He he overturned a, an elections bill that Pierre Polivier and Harper put in, which 
oddly enough, resembled a lot of the tactics of voter suppression that that Republicans use Mm -hmm. in terms of voter ID laws, allowing more money into uh, politics and stuff like that. Yeah, so 50 days, I think, is what the the liberals erased that bill, basically, and, and limited it to 50 days. Oh, that's and that's a perfectly reasonable amount of time. Like you don't like these these politicians that we have in Canada. Like, we we don't need more than fifty days to figure out what they're about. Yeah, like, you need fifty days to figure out what Jason Wolf's or or Jason Kenny's about. You just read Matt Wolf's Twitter feed. His yeah. hundred <laughs> something thousand dollar issue manager. This is one of these guys that tweets memes and stuff like that. I'd yeah. argue if we're paying him by the pound, we might be getting a pretty good deal. But uh, Ooh, as far as like his content, like, he's he's terrible. He's a real piece of shit, that guy. Um, <laughs> yeah, so like we don't really, we haven't made our politics a, a business yet. People, most Canadians don't pay attention to politics until election time. And even then, most of them don't even pay attention and actually vote. So as long as like we, and there, there's definitely an argument for keeping like you want people engaged in the political process, but not too engaged to where it becomes their life, like in the States. And then you get that hardcore polarization and stuff like that. I think a lot mm-hmm. of Canadian voters to this point still kind of a, approach uh, elections with with an open mind. A lot of them are like a lot of them kind of get locked in and vote for one party no matter what. But they're not they're they're not crazy about it. They're not. And Alberta, you see a little bit of it with the Facebook memes and stuff like that. And like these people that are crazy and saying Trudeau should be locked up and he's embarrassing us in an international stage, which isn't true. People internationally love Trudeau. They he's, love him more than we beloved. do. Yeah. yeah, he's he's more loved outside of, as someone that lives outside of Canada. He is more yeah. loved outside of Canada than within. Well, I remember when I was in I was in Nashville right after he got elected, right after Trump got elected. And I was talking to him. It was at a music festival, Bonnaroo. It was not the one that we went to, Brad. It was the next time. Hmm. And uh, a music festival, a bunch of more liberal-minded Americans, when they find out I was Canadian, were telling me how great Trudeau was and this. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, guys. Like, you're projecting a lot of your Trump feelings onto Canada. It's like, yeah. <laughs> at that point, even, like, Trudeau is fine. He's fine. Like, let's not lose our minds about this. Yeah. Um, but you do, it's definitely worrisome. Like, t- So it's, this is, let, I'll jump in here. This is where it worries me. Um, and again, I feel like there's this, like, I don't know. I I don't want to come across as like, you know, so anti, you know, Kenny or conservative or such a homer for the left or something. Obviously, politically, I lean left. Um, But with the rhetoric that I see and the sort of, let's say there's mistruths or misrepresentation of stuff by both sides of it, there's a certain level of rhetoric that I only see from the one side like I was saying, this divisiveness, this this idea that, you know, there's a there's demonizing the other side as irredeemable or out to get you or, you know, somehow insidious in what they're trying to do. And that really upsets me because that's where you get violence. I feel like that's where you get violence. The guy, like I mentioned, the guy that stormed Rideau Hall with a bunch of guns wasn't doing it because somebody misgendered him. You know, he's doing it because he got the idea in his head that Trudeau is a traitor and someone should kill him. And all of these things that you see online, I follow a lot of the people that 
their work is to expose this stuff. They go, they try and get into these Facebook groups and stuff to show what kind of stuff is, but, but what people are saying and whether it's intentional or not, the rhetoric that influential people in the conservative movement use has consequences. I mean, we're seeing the, se the separatist party in Alberta, you know, like there is no woke separatist party yet. I'm not saying it can't happen. And I'm not saying that there isn't language and rhetoric on that side that is dumb. Like I said, calling people racist because they don't want statues turned like that exists too. But I don't see it at the level and in the, you know, the sort of influential pulpits that I see on the other side. And we haven't seen any in Canada, as far as I know, actionable violence or anything like that because of that rhetoric. Yeah, it's hard. You know, you want to, again, so you want to maintain objectivity. Um, but you're right. I think there isn't. There isn't a similar push to say the reason, uh, you know, Aaron O'Toole wants to lower marginal tax rates is because he hates you and doesn't want you to succeed or yeah. he hates this country or hates your part of this country. Um, I think certainly Alberta, there's been a lot of the, you know, the NDP just hates business and hates success and hates you basically and yeah, that's they're why, socialists yeah like that's that why, thing too you know but you know they're they they didn't introduce this carbon tax to hopefully improve our environmental standing with potential investors around the world no they did it because they hate you and they don't want your kids to have good jobs um and you're right, i don't see that nearly to the same extent that sort of obviously you go to like far left crazy world you you probably find those memes and whatnot, but they don't get a wink and a nod from the actual mainstream conventional right, politicians exactly. in the way that they absolutely do, um, certainly here in Alberta. And I think the Conservative Party more nationally is, you know, they're not necessarily going to put out those memes themselves, but when they come out, they're certainly not going to disavow it or say, you know, that's not the tone we should strike. It's kind of, you know, well, they have a good point. If you think maybe Trudeau really does hate Alberta. Yeah. Um, I'm just saying, I'm just asking the question. I'm just, just saying. asking questions. Yeah. 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 I think the phrase actually, you say that the, the phrase just saying has damaged social media more than any other. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. It's when someone comes out and says, just saying, yeah, it's like I'm not going to take any responsibility for what I'm posting right now, but I'm still putting it out there. I, I, wow. I went into Facebook for the other to interrupt you guys. I went into Facebook the other day for the first time in a very long time and uh, opened it up. And the first thing that shows up in my feed is a, a friend from high school sharing a meme of uh, uh, just says lock him up at the top. And it's a Photoshop of Justin Trudeau and Jagmeet Singh sharing a prison cell. <laughs> and I'm like. For, okay, first of all, okay, maybe you think like Justin Trudeau is in power and he's committed these crimes that are worthy of being locked up. But what did Jagmeet do? He's the yeah. third party. Like, <laughs> guy has no power whatsoever. Yeah, like he, he props up the he propped up the liberal government, I guess. But then like no one wanted an election. Like that was the whole thing. No one wanted an election, so he did everyone a favor. But yeah, apparently they're locking Jagmeet up, and not only that, they're locking the conspirators up in the same prison cell, which seems odd to me. Yeah, you wouldn't want them to continue conspiring. Yeah, there's no or telling anything what they like could that. Accomplish. Yeah, that would sort of imply a level of thinking to these meme-making folks that I think is perhaps you know two notches too high. It's, it might uh, be. 
Yeah, it's it's disconcerting. I mean, I saw something on Facebook where they were. It was again some similar meme about we got to get Justin Trudeau out of here. Yeah, he's he's the worst thing that could happen. And just looking at the comments because I'm a sucker for punishment, so I always <laughs> I always look through these things. And there were the two people were lamenting the fact that he's not going to get voted out. And someone came in and said, well, the only the only way we can get him out is if we actually start um, clamping down on election fraud. And it just shows you how much the American shit like permeates into the psyche of 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 the people to the north, because it's like, what? Like. That's, that's there is no conversation about election fraud in Canada. Well, dangerous, it, scary talk there from my perspective, because my thought, at least uh, the one thing that sort of I can say definitively Canadian democracy is unequivocally better on this front is that to date we haven't really had a party that is just systematically trying to disenfranchise the other side's supporters. Like nobody is out there. You know, the Liberal Party is not out there running on a platform of shutting down polling places in rural Alberta, and the Conservatives aren't trying to, you know, pass strenuous voter ID laws in downtown Toronto. Well, they did. Toronto. Harper did. All right. Maybe I could be wrong. <laughs> yeah, um, it doesn't, entire it doesn't, point is invalidated. <laughs> I guess so. But there is, down south, an entire industry dedicated to you know, as opposed to winning votes, just preventing votes from the other side. And we don't have yeah. anything to that industrial scale here no. in Canada. And I really hope that doesn't change, you know, because starting to go down that road, the second you um, get in people's minds that there is widespread fraud, uh, you just shake. Sorry. people's Yeah. yeah. Uh, once you start shaking people's faith in the system, I can't see how it ever comes back in, you know, in our lifetime. So, um, that's why I think what's going on down south right now is so destructive because I think this will likely become a feature of virtually every election they have. I mean, there was some guy who lost 75-25 and still refused to concede and said um, that, you know, <laughs> oh, he yeah. lost entirely due to fraud. And this will just be the playbook going forward. That uh, Wait, that guy that guy was great because he's from California. He lost 75 to 25. And he says, I'm not not only did he not concede. He's like, I'm going down to City Hall to find out what happened. <laughs> it's like you're going to count like 200. It was like 200,000 ballots. You're going to go count 200,000 ballots. Yeah. Look at them all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely I don't mean to, you know, say that it, it's it's on the level of the u.s i don't think we are I, you know it's the same in germany it's the same in france you know the western democracies are all facing these these similar challenges i mean the harper law that the elections pierre polive uh, put it into introduced it into the commons uh, i think it was in their last term and it did it it invalidated uh, a bunch of forms of id um, that voters could use it got rid of the vouching system so you couldn't vouch for voters uh, and these things no, are known to uh, affect minority communities dis disenfranchised communities and I don't I don't know if we, I, I'm assuming that those people tend to vote liberal or NDP um, it had a bunch of other things this was when they got caught with the Robo the robocalls um, scandal as well so you know they were doing that too. 
Uh, and they just tried. They just tried to like gut the. They made a bunch of things illegal, but then took away all the power of the elections commissions to actually do anything about it. So it was a really kind of like weird bill that I don't know. I guess we don't remember it. I was looking it up the other day, um, and it was overturned. It was one of the first things Trudeau did when he came in. So I mean, this stuff does creep in. That's that's the point. We're not at that level, but I think we need to be vigilant. And when I've talked to people in Canada about this, they're just like, ah, it's not that, it's not that big a deal. Um, you know, we're not that extreme or something like this. And then we'll, you know, but Trudeau's the worst thing that's ever happened to this, you know, and he's dividing the country and yada, yada, yada. And I'm just like, I just don't see how he's doing that. I just, I don't see the evidence for that. So I guess we could all agree that we need to focus more on policy, but whether that happens, I don't know. Well, it's, and it's funny, speaking of Harper, I saw an interview with him kind of tied to the media thing, an interview. I don't think it was this year. I think it was done in the last couple of years where it was kind of like a, on a stage doing a Q and a thing. And he was talking about why he'd lost his last election that he ran for. Right. And he blamed not enough right-wing media sources specifically. Yeah. I s- not that he, not those policies, not the fact that in the re-election campaign, they set up a hotline for people to report barbaric practices that they saw <laughs> yeah. in their neighborhood. Nothing like that. It was like specifically that reason. It's like, I didn't run a bad campaign and I didn't bring in divisive policies when I was in power. Yeah. It was, it was the media that did it. Yeah. And, and talking to voter fraud, voter fraud's hilarious because like, to commit voter fraud on a high level would be so labor intensive, especially in Canada. Yeah, it seems like, there would just be greater returns to just, you know, get out the vote efforts. I'm trying the yeah. amount of effort you would have to go to to like fraudulently cast one ballot that is surely not going to actually tip the scales to get thousands and thousands of fraudulent ballots, I think in part maybe belies a lack of both civics civics education and critical thought on the part of these people alleging this that like how would you plan to do it how you might you know they have it's a quite a complicated system they have big lists of who's allowed to vote and you know a lot of thought and work goes into this it's really really hard to commit sort of voter fraud on any scale much less the sort of scale you would need to actually change outcomes yeah, it's like when I go when you're voting the Canadian election, like unless you're voting in advance, which people can do and do often, I never do. But like you you can only vote at one box. Like when I go to vote, I have to go to one spot and I get in line and they send me to one specific box in a gymnasium at an elementary school. Like that's the only way I can vote. So like to steal my vote is you have to like go to you have to have pay a guy to go to that specific box and that's just to steal my one vote. See, how many people are you like if you want to steal like 2000 votes, like you need at least 2000 people to do it. On the day. <laughs> it's like that's not like, it's not going to come out. And then later when you steal the guy's vote and then he shows up to vote and his name's already crossed off, you know, there's going to be some questions. There's an investigation like there's there's just no way to I mean, I could be wrong. There could be massive, you know, subterranean fraud rings going on right now laughing at us right laughing now. at us thinking mm-hmm. oh it's so simple but but i don't think so um and going down well, all of the mode, investigations and studies by academics and security experts into elections both in canada and the u.s they turn up minimal like doesn't even come close to affecting the outcome at all of well, voter it process. seems like the 
the the little pencil and paper system we have is like the best possible safeguard <laughs> against that. So any argument to go all digital voting, I'm like, no, fuck that. Let's just stay on paper. This like you get that little pencil you get at the golf course, and then you mark down your X, and that's it. It's pretty hard to pretty hard to mess that up. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I guess let's um we'll move on from this. We kind of devolved and went went further into that than I expected us to, but that's probably my fault because I get pretty riled up about that. And I do worry about Canada and, and Germany and, you know, the rest of the, the places we, uh, the UK for, is another one. Yeah. We, I think we got to remain vigilant and I don't know if you guys have saw, seen this, but, um, there was, uh, there's a group that formed in Alberta then it's called next 30, I think. And they had an opinion, um, article published. I can't remember on what paper, but it's basically an organization that's, that's, I don't understand it all yet. It's something that I think we should cover in an in a upcoming episode. But their whole thing is we got to get away from this polarization. We got to get together and find workable solutions for things and talk about policy rather than all of this other bullshit. So we'll see if that's, you know, something that can be a force for good in all of this and get, get us away from all of these things that we just talked about. Um, but for the last uh, topic of the show. Let's look, let's go back to the US and look at a Biden administration. We all believe that that's what's going to happen. Um, and, and what, what he's going to be able to do a lot hinges on the Senate. Um, but, you know, he's already signaled things uh, about getting back into the WHO, uh, his foreign policy you know, is going to be w welcomed around the world much more than Trump's was. Um, but he has, you know, we were talking about the really woke progressiveness angle uh, of the or spec side of the spectrum. He's got internal divisions in the party that he's going to deal with. Uh, AOC, the congresswoman, she came out pretty quickly after um, Biden was declared the winner uh, with a, a critique basically saying um, it wasn't the the woke policies, it wasn't the progressivism that scared people away in the Congress races because they lost seats. It was a lack of understanding of the electorate and you know digital campaigning and all these things. So there's some divisions there. So it's going to be a rough road, I think, for, for Biden. Um, but... We the one thing we haven't talked about too is is the coronavirus, which I feel like he could instantly do do a better job uh, there, and you know maybe get some some goodwill amongst the Americans if he can turn things around there. But you're seeing all of the the rhetoric. Oh, he's going to come and lock everything down. He's going to do this. That a lot of challenges is my point to this rambling um, change of topic. Who wants to jump in uh, with the challenges that that Biden's going to face? I think oh, the coronavirus one specifically is like the numbers they're getting down there are crazy this last week. It's insane. It's like the North Dakota, one in 90 people in North Dakota tested positive this week. And in South Dakota, it was like one in 98. Like That's absurd. Yeah. Like, it's just a crazy amount. And this is coming from someone that got tested yesterday because I might have been exposed. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. <laughs> These people are idiots out there. Um, I think... It's kind of interesting because like the I think the idea was that the Democrats are going to steal a big chunk of Republican votes in this last election and they didn't 
they took a lot of the undecideds, which I think are normally undecided. But I, I think we kind of proved this interesting. It's like there's a lot of Republican voters that are just going to vote Republican no matter who's in charge. Mm. So, like, I think the Biden administration is going to have to cater to the the AOC side, the far left, which is kind of crazy because like there's nothing that AOC wants that would be considered outrageous in Canada. It's like stuff we already have for the most part. Yeah, yeah. But down there, like she's this pariah, and I'm like. <laughs> Like she might not even be in the NDP in Canada. Like, <laughs> it's, it's crazy. Um, so I think they're gonna they're gonna have to cater to that side a bit. But that's just American politics. When you only have two parties, like you're gonna have to cater to one side or the other of like whatever whatever party you're in. Um, you say a lot of it ends depends on the Senate. If they can push the get the Senate through and control that, he has a lot more options. But Democrats always find a way to not be as successful as they should be. Mm-hmm. It seems like even in the Obama administration, it was a lot of just treading water, which for the states would be great right now. Just normalize everything. Um, but they seem to always get in their own way and they always want to like cater to the they want to cater to the far right and like bring them back into the fold. And I'm like, I, they might be gone. Like you kind of just need to forget them right now and just focus on like getting your platform across for this time that you might have. But is it though? Part of the challenge because is that you know their platform is so divided amongst their own you know party like they they're the party that represents the broadest uh, group of Americans we'll say um, and and cobbling together that coalition is difficult you know you got Clinton and and Biden I, I imagine is going to be the same you know the sort of center much like Obama was, you know, they, they have trade, you know, free trade interests and stuff they have to deal with. And then you have Bernie Sanders and his coalition of people on in there as well being like, well, no, these free trade agreements hurt workers. And yeah, it, it's, it's a, I wonder if that's why we're like, well, they always find a way to lose, but it's because they're just, there's so many people in that tent that you can't please them all. Scott? Yeah, I guess if you're strictly the rural white people party, it's easier to just, you know, placate the desires of this sort of monolith of rural white people. Um, I think everything really comes down to what happens in January in Georgia, which is why I think when AOC immediately came out after and said, yeah, we need to kind of change our messaging. And part was very much, no, it's not that we went too progressive and scared people off. It's that we weren't progressive enough. And I'd throughout this cycle, I've been uh, following a bunch of like the Lincoln Project in um, in the states of the sort of former Republicans who have been working against Trump, and forget policies. Republicans have been objectively infinitely better at winning elections despite being unpopular. You know, they they're just better tactically, um, and you know the one guy likes to constantly say sort of that the Democrats are holistically bad at politics, and this would be a perfect example. That basically Biden's ability to get almost anything done hinges on special elections in Georgia, of all places. I think if you're AOC, you would be wise to shut the hell up, find a cabin until January 6th, and don't show your face. um, Simply because to come out and say the Democratic Party needs to be way more progressive is not going to be a winning message in Georgia right now. So you need to think about politically what's going to win. And I think, you know, certainly the Republicans in Georgia would love nothing more than to have AOC's face plastered on everything. 
and remind people that your opponents are crazy socialists. So, yeah, a lot of it comes down to Georgia. I think they might win one. I think their Democrats are very hard pressed. They they likely won't control the Senate, which means, unfortunately, I think nothing major really gets done on climate change or on voting rights, which is my sort of playbook for the Democrats as to what uh, they should have done had they won the Senate is just pass a lot of sweeping voter rights legislation, um, at least under my previous assumption that improving turnout would increase their electoral chances. But we had massive you know, turnout and that didn't prove to be the case. So I might have to kind of change my priors there. But I think in terms of what the Biden administration can do, it's largely, I think, a return to sanity is just like being undervalued at this point, just having kind of grown-ups in charge, not just the president not tweeting crazy stuff, but as Coleman referenced, there's all sorts of important government positions that have been left unfilled. Their, you know, their cabinet secretaries are just hacks and industry lobbyists and, you know, people with no experience um, running much of anything that have really no business holding high-level government office. So I think just a return to competence and grown-ups will really help. Um in terms of foreign policy, trying to rebuild alliances, maybe a bit less coddling of the dictators. I'd be curious to see <laughs> how the American relationship with Russia evolves as uh, they do a complete 180 on the uh, kind of American position with regards to Russia with a new administration, a new president coming in. Um, but certainly trying to rebuild alliances. And uh, I'm sure the leaders of NATO and the EU could not be happier that um you know, the orange buffoon is finally gone. I think on COVID, it's hard to say because I had this thought the other day that I think the one man in the United States who's actually positioned to make a giant difference on COVID is Donald Trump, which is unfortunate because he's never going to do it. Because when Joe Biden comes out and says, hey, Trump supporters, you know, wear a mask and stay home and quit licking each other. They're uh, they're going to say, no, you know, big government tell me what to do. Like the one man they're going to listen to on this front is Donald Trump. And if he had yeah. just come out from day one and sold MAGA masks for $50 each and said yeah. your great patriotic duty to Trump is to like stay home, they would do it because they don't have, you know, much in the way of strict principles. They're just going along with this guy. So it'll be tough. But on the other hand, like I saw. North Dakota with their, you know, one in 90 got infected last week or something. Their governor today or yesterday just, you know, passed a mask mandate, their Republican governor. And I think having one. Trump gone will allow a lot of Republican leaning states more leeway because mm. they're not going to get that, you know, presidential Twitter throwdown of like, what are you doing undermining my message? So a lot yeah. of Republican governors will feel, you know, less maybe maybe less pressure to do the wrong thing to placate you know the president's feelings so i think it will probably help on that front and certainly you know it seems like this vaccine is promising um and not having again the like least competent set of individuals to ever run the United States government in charge of, you know, vaccine distribution. They can't even get their supporters onto buses to leave the rallies. It's hard to imagine how they're going to get, <laughs> you know, 400 million doses of a vaccine manufactured, distributed through a strict cold chain. It's there's no way these morons would get anything like it done. 
and just the politicization trump coming out and saying well we're not going to send it to new york because you know the uh Cuomo didn't adequately lick my boots at key times, so there'll be no vaccines for new- just that sort of vindictive pettiness. Getting that out of the administration will, I think, help on the COVID front. Yeah, I mean, there's like, I think people will realize how much is to be said for you know just smooth, competent leadership. You know, it's like we can, you could argue the oh well, there's still you know the swamp and there's still kickbacks and there's still big government, you know, all this stuff. But just having the machinery move in the way that it's supposed to, or having a um, in terms of coronavirus, having a organized uh, res- you know response. Remember the in the early days of this when the states were fighting amongst themselves to get protective equipment for healthcare workers because Trump was just like, eh, maybe you should just, just get it yourself. Like, I'm just not going to do that. It's like there's certain things that a government can do really well. And that's one of those things is some of these logistic things. Um, yeah, so I think that's that's going to be a big thing. Your point that uh, maybe Republican governors can now do things that they were afraid to do before for 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 the sake of, you know, not drawing the ire of the president makes sense. Um, but I think that there's going to be a lot of stuff where the, the damage is already done. So any Republican or Joe Biden administration official that goes out there and tries to implement some kind of measure, some kind of, you know, uh, shutting down of businesses or mass mandate or something, the damage is already done on that front. But so you're right. Trump was the one guy that that he actually could have made a difference, and he just chose not to. Um, I look at I look at Trump's coronavirus strategy as a guy. Let's say he's got like a bat. I'm going to try a basketball reference here, even though I'm a, I'm a white Canadian, doesn't know much about it. So you got a, an open lane to the basket to for the an easy layup, to the hoop for a layup. And instead of taking that, you turn around and you try a full court shot at your own basket. <laughs> and it's like, okay, so yeah, that's a low percentage shot. Not only is it a low percentage shot, but say you drain it, you still lost. It's your own basket. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck are you doing? Like this mask thing is like Scott talks about putting Trump's name on masks. It's like for the guy that couldn't se- like try to sell steaks in a menswear store, it's like, why not just put trump on a mask and sell it even if you don't believe it you're gonna make all sorts of completely legal money yeah no problem and instead he's like his, his ideas were not only not only am i not gonna take this layup and sell masks for a large profit i'm gonna try and make sure everyone doesn't wear masks and then make sure that no one can go to hotels and resorts and fuck myself over. <laughs> it's like you had an opportunity to skim money off your government job and you couldn't even do that right like, yeah my god and that seemed to be like, the one thing that he rich? wanted to do with his government job was skim money. That's the only thing he wanted to do. <laughs> and like, you have like this very easy opportunity, sell these Trump masks for $15 a piece yeah. at a premium. And uh, these people would have bought a fuck ton of them. I got to say your white Canadianness did show in your basketball metaphor. You did, uh, you neglected to say hoop or rack. Uh, I'm going to take it to the basket and go in for a layup. Come on. What Okay, first of all, in Alberta we only slams. And second of all and second of all, we don't actually have nets. It's still a peach basket with a ball cut out of it. <laughs> and you've been in Germany a bit too long, but yeah. Well, hey. This is the home of Dirk Nowitzki. Never forget. 
one of the greatest, one of the greatest to ever do it. Never, never forget, he's not dead. He's still alive. Yeah, but I feel like he's been forgotten. Don't <laughs> forget the Dirk Nowitzki. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I'm I'm interested to see how the internal dynamics of the the Democratic Party play out in this. I'm interested to see who the cabinet selections are going to be um, for Biden. We'll cover that when it when it happens. Uh, there was some talk that oh, he should you know to really show good faith or whatever, he should put some Republicans in in cabinet positions or oh. something like that. But I think at this time, oh, yeah. yeah, you just got to get the most competent people for the job and just put them in and see what you can do for the first two years, see what happens with the Senate races. Um, let's wrap it up here. Um, anything else you guys want to hit on or looking forward to? The the inauguration crowd, I think Biden should, should, go, should make a statement right away and say, uh, don't come to the inauguration. It's it's a coronavirus risk. Don't come or have like some kind of really spaced out thing because he'll get hammered on that if he doesn't. I just do it in the office. Well, it's like one last thing that Trump did this week that is just a perfect way to end his presidency is they had that million mega march yesterday. Yeah. And all day they're claiming they go back to the crowd size thing. They're claiming there's over over a million Trump supporters in Washington, D.C. It's like, why do that to yourself? Like, first of all, no one's going to be excited to see a big crowd. And even if they are, just say that there's like 10,000. That's still a pretty good number for a uh, a super spreader event in 2020. <laughs> like, why handicap yourself with this stuff? Like, Just do a nice, reasonable lie that everyone can believe. Yeah. I don't know if that's I don't know if he's capable of that. Scott? Um, I guess yeah. My final thought just looking back on this election going into it, pre-COVID, my thought that it was maybe if I thought it was maybe a 50-50 shot, um, despite Trump being like in my mind so obviously horrible, but um it and then with COVID, I figured it was then a slam dunk that, you know, Trump was going to lose. And then it really, I would say I was, I will admit, completely wrong about that. And I think Trump was an absolute slam dunk to get reelected before COVID. And then, you know, I would say the loss is certainly not as narrow as it was painted, but it was not the sort of overwhelming repudiation I would have expected for a man who just, you know, devastated the economy and uh, more or less like could not have performed worse in response to this pandemic. Um so I don't know. It's definitely made me think it's uh, I would say it has reduced my faith in America and really <laughs> lowered my expectations for Americans, to be perfectly honest. I read, you know, a Twitter thread yesterday from a nurse in South Dakota about how people are literally as they're being intubated, screaming at them about how COVID's a hoax and they should take all their PPE off because they're it's all a big lie. And I think, oh, good Lord, this is. <laughs> Things might be worse than my worst case fear. So I'm very curious to see how the next few months and the next four years play out. But um, I don't know. Good luck, my Southern friends, because I would say all the Americans I meet in my life are just delightful, sensible, non-crazy people, um, yeah. which must you know, be my little liberal bubble. And chances are, you know, let's say I met a lot of Americans when I was volunteering in Kenya and you don't meet a lot of the uh, Breitbart 
tea party crowd on <laughs> volunteer trips in Africa. So you certainly don't get a representative sample of the American population. But the people I would meet would be absolutely delightful, sensible, rational folks who didn't have a bunch of crazy ideas about the world. And there are obviously many millions of them in America. They just seem to have to share their uh, great landmass with some of the truly most misled people on Earth. So I wish them all the power and good luck going forward to try and turn that ship around. That's like saying, though, you met some very some very free thinking Americans on your like NPR discussion board that you went on. <laughs> all the Americans I meet on the NPR discussion board seem totally grounded in reality. I go into the Facebook comment threads on Walmart. That's where I meet my Americans. You get the real America right there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, and like we said, we we laugh and jest at uh, make poke fun at, at at the Americans. But this kind of shit is it can Could happen anywhere. Ten years. And I think that that's that's the important thing to uh, to take into consideration. We never thought it would happen in America, and look, it did. So. Um, all right, gentlemen, thanks for doing it. Always a pleasure. We'll catch you next time. Till next time. Yeah, keep, keep Steve Barg in your prayers today. <laughs> Follow at Lionel Steele. Nice, you got it in. <laughs> there we go. Thanks to the boys for showing up for that one. Good chat, good times. I enjoyed it. If you enjoyed it, give us a like, give us a follow, give us a rate, give us a comment wherever you get your podcasts. Hit us up on Instagram or Twitter at 2 brad for you or you can email the show at 2 brad for you at gmail.com. See the synergy there across platforms? Our website, too. 2 brad for you at wordpress.com. 2 brad for you.wordpress.com. My apologies. Um, thank you so much for listening. Uh, thanks to the guys again for being here. Um, yeah, please do reach out. We'd love to hear what you think. We'd love to take questions, comments, all of that kind of stuff. Read them out on the show, whatever it is. So, at Two Brad for you on any channel, basically, we'll be there. Thank you again so much for listening. Take care, everyone, and we'll see you next time. Just start the podcast. Computer repair with Steve Barg. <laughs> All right. Well, it's recording, so I'll get us started. I mean, it's going to be a little difficult with all the banging going on. Listen, that hasn't stopped us before. Yeah, it's make true. It a, and... Make it a part of your humorous uh, preamble intro to the show, you know? No. All right. People Here love that. Do you have God powers? Can you just like mute Barg for this? Morning? No. I don't, but we can, I can edit him, edit him out.